So tonight, or last week, we looked at the goodness of God, and, and, and I loved it. I loved that, that um, topic, uh, the goodness of God, because he's always good. And tonight, what we're going to be looking at is the greatness of God. 1098, God is great. That's right. All my kids are going, yeah, Dad, we're not kids anymore. That's a, that's a Colin Buchanan song, 1098, God is great, because he is great. And how often is God great? Just sometimes? You know, when we see amazing things happen? No. God is great all the time. And all the time, God is great. He is supreme. He is supreme over all that is seen and unseen. He is the creator. No one made him. He made it all. Everything you see in nature is because God created it at creation. The first seven, six days, the first six days, God created everything that you can see. I love going outside at night sometimes when I feel like my world is crashing down or if, if, if it's out of control or if I've lost my focus, a little bit like Peter on the, on the waves, I like to go outside in the quietness of the night and look up at the stars. It just reminds me of how awesome and great he is. You know, the Bible says that God spoke those things into being and he named them one by one. Like that's a lot of names and they're huge. Like the sun that we have as our star, closest star, is nowhere near as huge as the hugest star. It is minuscule compared to what is out there, you know, and that just reminds me and helps me to be reminded that God is so great. He is so great. He is the creator. He's supreme over everything. Psalm 95 verses 2 to 5 go like this. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great king above all gods. He, in his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. In his hands are the depths of the earth. You know that old song when we grew up at Sunday school, a lot of us, he's got the whole world in his hands. I think that's probably where they get that song from. In his hand are the depths of the earth. It's like God's just got everything in his hands. And the mountain peaks belong to him. Like, I thought they belonged to the person who could conquer them. You know, like the, the mountaineers that could climb to the top of the, of, of the peaks. They leave, they leave their mark up there. And it's like they conquered it. It's their mountain. But no, it's not. The Bible says that the mountain peaks belong to him. He made them. They're his, right? It's his, they're his. And it says in verse 5, the sea is his. The sea belongs to God because he made it. And his hands formed the dry ground. Everything is created by him. God is so great. God is great. The subject of God's greatness certainly is inexhaustible. And I am not going to be preaching on every detail of God's greatness because we don't have that long. I could be here for all eternity <laughs> trying to, to describe the greatness of God, the immensity of God, the supremeness of God, how profound he is. In every way. It's uncontainable. And everything about God 
is great. His love, his mercy, his power, his patience, his kindness, his joy, his forgiveness, his goodness, his faithfulness. Any attribute you can think of for God is great because God is great and everything about him, well, is great. It's uncontainable. It's inexhaustible. Like, let's just pick one of those, right? His forgiveness. Read Psalm 103. How far has he forgiven us from the east to the west? How far is that? It's immeasurable. You can't measure it. How much has God loved us? Well, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That's immeasurable. His love is great. His forgiveness is great. His mercy is great. He is great. Right? He's above it all. He reigns above it all because he owns it all. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. That includes you and me. We belong to him. His greatness covers so much territory, it has no limits. I think um, driving recently with learners in the car, you know, the speed limit sign on the side of the road. I think we forget what the word limit means. You know, us older drivers that have already got our licenses, we sort of think, oh, 60. Oh, I really mean 63, right? Am I the only one? We, we kind of try to push the limit. We don't sort of think, well, 58. Can't do 58 because you're holding people up. But the limit is the limit, right? But when it comes to God's greatness, there's no limit. There's no limit. There are no tools in all of history, nor will there ever be, that can even begin to measure God's greatness. In fact, if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Psalm 145. Sorry. Psalm 145 verse 3 says these words. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. His greatness no one can fathom. So why preach a message about God is great? Well, no one can fathom it, except God himself, of course. <laughs> so therefore, I came to the conclusion in my mind that I'd like to see what God says about greatness. I mean, you can read the Bible and you could Google greatness in the Bible and see what, how, how God is great in different ways. But, but being that God is great, surely he would have some idea about what true greatness is, right? What true greatness looks like. So before we look at that, before we look at what God says about true greatness, I need to tell you this. We need to know something first about God's greatness. All right? First off, God is great because nothing is impossible with God. There's the point. What is it? God is great because nothing is impossible with God. My birds, can you hear them? They agree. Creation cries out. They're amening to that because nothing is impossible for God. If the God who created by simply speaking, 
if he created just by speaking, what else can he do? <laughs> Nothing is impossible with God. In Luke chapter 1, we see a beautiful story of two women in Palestine in, in early um, Bible story in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 1. And they are Mary and Elizabeth. If you've got your Bible, I want you to... Um, oh, actually, don't, don't turn that. I'll just read, read out um, this story because basically I'm going from verse 29 in Luke chapter 1, okay? So Luke chapter 1, verse 29 onwards. And this is from the message. So that's why I didn't want you guys looking it up because <laughs> it's different. Here it goes. She was thoroughly shaken, wondering what was behind a greeting like that. This is Mary. But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great. There it is. Be called, he will be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will rule Jacob's house forever. No end ever to his kingdom. Mary said to the angel, but how? I've never slept with a man. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High hover over you. Therefore, the child you bring to birth will be called Holy Son of God. And did you know that your cousin Elizabeth conceived a son old as she is? Everyone called her barren. And here she is, six months pregnant. Nothing you see is impossible with God. I just love that. Nothing you see is impossible with God. And, and just, just a sentence before that, the angel was saying to Mary that everyone was saying to Elizabeth, because she's so old, she's, everyone called her barren. Everyone said, she's, she's past it. She's past having a baby, right? Mary, let alone, will have a, have a surprise baby by the Holy Spirit. But even Elizabeth, in her, in her old age, would give birth to a son. Why? Because nothing is impossible with God. Even when, even when a word spoken over Elizabeth said, you're barren, you're barren, there's nothing going to come out of you, God promised a child. Notice what everyone called her? Barren. But God called her a mother. God will always make everything he speaks come to pass. Everything. Nothing is impossible with God. In the Greek, that word for nothing, it is, it's nothing. <laughs> it actually is two words, made up of two words, meaning no word. No word is impossible with God. No rhema word. No spoken word of God. In other words, any promise that God says will always happen. It will always come to pass. He is that great. Nothing is impossible with God. I want to take you to Mark chapter 10. God is so great that he is mighty to save. Now in Mark chapter 10, we looked at that briefly last week. And in verse 17, it goes like this. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Remember that? Good teacher. 
Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Your, your, uh, defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go and sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, oh, sorry, they were amazed at his words. Oh yeah, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. I've said that already. Then the disciples were even more amazed. I'm sorry about that. And he said to, and, and said to each other, who then can be saved? They had an idea that being saved meant that you, you kept all the commandments. You were a good person. You were more good than the worst person. And you had a better chance to being saved. Even rich people, it was a sign of blessing from God. This is the culture that the disciples were in. And Jesus is trying to declare to them what real salvation is. It's not based upon what you have. It's not based upon what you do. The disciples were more amazed. And Jesus looked at them in verse 27. He looked at them. Now, when Jesus looks at you, you know he's about to say something really important. He looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. All things are possible with God. God is great, so great that nothing is impossible for him. Every spoken word of the Lord will come to pass. He alone is great and mighty, and he alone is mighty and able to save. Zephaniah 3.17 talks about how he is a mighty victor, a mighty God, and he saves, a mighty saviour. So what does, God, uh, what does God say about greatness? All right, so now we know that nothing is impossible with God. He is so great. What's God's view of greatness? Well, I'm going to take you to Isaiah 9 really quick. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. That's greatness, right? And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. You can't get any greater than that. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. God chose to conceal his greatness in a child, a newborn child. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and this guy is great. 
Now I want you to take you to Bethlehem. You know, when, when Jesus was born, God chose to conceal his greatness in a child. Often when I'm praying and I need to be reminded of God's greatness in my life, I don't know if anyone else is like me, but sometimes you need to be reminded of how great God is. Like if he's actually in charge, I mean, you know it in your head, but when you look around, you know what I mean? I remember this kingdom truth and it encourages me to know that God is more than able to reveal his greatness in a seemingly powerless and vulnerable situation in my life. God conceals his greatness. God has revealed his greatness to the world, though, in the person of Jesus. The Bible says that the message of the cross is the display of God's power. That's 1 Corinthians 1. And the gospel is the power of God at work. That's Romans chapter 1. So to see how great God is, we must look to Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3 says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word, the Son being Jesus. Jesus encountered an attitude of greatness in His disciples that was misaligned. I want to take you back to Mark chapter 10. And in verse 35 to 45, we see two disciples. In fact, we see all the disciples struggling with the concept of greatness. And Jesus realigning their concept of greatness. In Mark chapter 10, verse 35, we, we read, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. I wonder if he had a wry smile on his face. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. We don't know. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, Okay, you will drink the cup I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. Now, when the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, right, so now he's got the twelve all together. He's got two that are self-promoters. And he's got the 10 that are indignant and jealous of those self-promoters, right? So all of us fit into one of those categories at one time or another in our life. So he gets them all together and he said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, 
but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God is great. God is truly great. So great in love that he gave his one and only son. So great that the son came to serve, not to be served. So great that he humbled himself. You know, so often we're like the disciples, either James and John or the other 10. (laughs) You know, if we're not James and John, we've got the other 10 on our backs. And if we're not the other 10, we're James and John creeping up, trying to be great, trying to get people to notice us, trying to get God to notice us, trying to try and try and try. Jesus was truly great and he showed us what true greatness was. True greatness serves. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes about Jesus. He writes to the church. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. Like, just think about that. (laughs) The creator, right? In very nature God, who spoke the stars into being with just a word. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The highest place. (laughs) He was given the highest place. You can't get any higher. (laughs) When I pray, Lord, you are great. I'm reminded that no matter how impossible the situation is or seems, God is able to make a way. God is able to make a way. God is the God of small beginnings. Zechariah 4.10 says, Do not despise the day of small beginnings. That's where God works his best. God is the God of the impossible. And every promise that has come from his lips will come to pass. He conceals his greatness in small things and he revealed his greatness by serving. He said, Jesus said, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. You want to show how great you are? Serve. Because that's how great, that's that's how God showed how great he is. It's beautiful. Uh, Can I take you to one last scripture just to leave you with this image of how great God is, right? Now, you might think of all these scriptures in the Bible about how great God is, like a creation, like in Genesis chapter 1, just the immense power to create everything. Or when he led Israel out of Egypt, you know, with all those miracles and part of the Red Sea with Moses. And you might think of other great events in the Bible. But I think this is the pinnacle of all the greatness that God could ever show. All right, here it is. It's in John chapter 13. And Jesus is about to share a Passover meal with his disciples. It was just uh, John 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew 
that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Right, that's the background. And verse 3 is the clincher verse for me. It says, Jesus knew, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Just, can I read that again? Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Like, this is, the, this is greatness right here. Jesus is now supreme. Everything has been put under his power by God, the creator. And so he is now as Jesus with all power. And he knew that he'd come from God and he was returning to God. And he was supreme. He was profoundly large and in charge. And he was in authority position right there and then. And verse 4 says, So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. These same disciples that are about to run away from him, they're about to turn their backs on him. They're about to deny that they ever know him. And here is God putting a towel around his waist and serving. What an image of greatness. In verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. And he says to them, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example, an example, that you should do as I have done. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I think that's beautiful. Because what Jesus is doing there is he's revealing what greatness really is. God is great. And you know, in our prayer time, when we pray, God, you're great, can we be reminded that God can actually serve us when we think we've got the plan in our heads, like they did about Jesus? He had the plan already in place and he was serving them. And even when they turned their back on his plan and his ideas, he still went through all the way and loved them to the very end. And he rose again and he left them an example. Not that we all need to wash each other's feet, but we need to humble ourselves and have the same attitude of Christ. That even though we know our place in the kingdom of God, that we're sons and daughters of God, I don't want to diminish that. I want us to all realize how great we are in that respect, that God has chosen us in Christ and that we are blessed. We have every spiritual blessing in Christ. Like you guys are amazing because of what Jesus has done for you. But to let that get to our heads and, and, and not serve is half of the story of God's greatness. He's showed and revealed his greatness to us that we might reveal his greatness to the world. 
That's what Jesus said to his disciples. The world needs to see the greatness of God and they will see the true image of God's greatness, the true illustration of God's greatness as we serve, as we serve others, as we humble ourselves, as we lay down our own agendas and serve others. Not, not losing our relationship with the Father. God is great. It's who he is. I can trust him. Nothing is impossible for him. Salvation is not impossible. Walking on water is not impossible. He is over the situation. He has the highest place because he came under the level of our exalted egos and served as the obedient saviour. Sometimes we try and lord it over people. God will never do that. He's too great for that. He's revealed his greatness. He's revealed his power in the gospel. I want to pray, and then we'll finish with one last song. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are great. You are great. You're so great, and we marvel at your greatness. We are lost for words at how great you are. We look at the creation, we see your greatness. We look at the stars in the sky, we see your greatness. We look at the newborn baby, we see your greatness. We look at the peoples that you've made, the different cultures around the world, Lord, the different people, Lord, and we see your greatness. We, see, we look at Jesus, we look at the cross, and we see your greatness. Lord, help us to see your greatness this week and help us to reveal your greatness to a world that's hurting. But God, help us be reminded as we pray, when we face impossible situations, that you are great and there's nothing impossible for you. We trust your timing, we trust your love, and we know you're great. Amen.